You're listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for Jesus. So enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father. All right, we are in the fifth week of our series called If Then. If then, where we're slowly going through the book, or rather the letter of 1 John. 1 John. Um, I originally planned for us to spend uh, just 10 weeks, which is a long series, um, but we're probably going to spend a lot longer. We're going at a much slower pace than I expected, which is all fine and good because 1 John's a really awesome letter. Um, And I've titled it If Then because all throughout John's letter, um, we see many if-then conditional statements, right? Think back to to grammar school, right? If-then, it's a conditional statement. Um, Some examples that we've already seen as we've gone through this letter are like what we read in 1 John. John chapter 1 verse 7, which says, but if, everybody say if, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then, everybody say then, right, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Uh, and the reason John fills his letter with all of these if-then conditional statements is because he's trying to show us what it looks like to be real Christians, And if we adhere to these if-then statements, then we can be confident that we really are Christians. Um, It's because of all of John's if-then conditional statements that I've likened him to a computer programmer. All right, let me ask again, any computer programmers in the house this morning? We've got some, yep, who've dabbled and and know a little bit about it, yeah. Um, If you know programming, then you know that it relies heavily on conditional statements. Um, to produce a certain outcome. If this happens in the software, then this needs to happen. If that happens in the software, then that needs to happen over and over and over and over again until the desired outcome is produced. Um, If you ask any of these people who raise their hand saying that they're programmers, they will tell you that their job is terribly tedious at times. Um, But they'll also tell you that programming is relatively easy once you understand some of the basics, right? Like the basics of simple logic that we see in the conditional statements. If this, then that, that's pretty easy. Or the basics of how computers, they communicate um, and respond to simple commands. Do this, don't do that, that's easy. Uh, Programming is so relatively simple that kids, as young as five years old, they can start learning how to code and actually understand what they're doing. And even some schools, they have coding curriculum included in their their classes. Um, The reason why programming looks complicated to the average person, though, is because lines of code are written in a format and a language that a computer can understand, but it it doesn't naturally flow in, in human thinking, human understanding. Um, But once you learn the format and the language, programming is quite easy. Anybody can really do it. And it's not hard to use the simple logic, the simple commands, the simple language of computer programming to produce a certain outcome. And this is another reason why John's letter reminds me so much of computer programming. And I know that's when you read 1 John, that's what you think too. Obviously, computer programming, right? Uh, Because once you understand the simple logic he's using, which are all of these if-then conditional statements, Um, once you understand the simple commands that John presents to us, do this, don't do that, 
Right? Once you understand the simple language of family that John is using, then the purpose and the desired outcome of his letter, it becomes quite clear. And we ourselves can follow along with John's code, uh, apply it, and see the desired outcome produced in our own lives. And so the key to understanding what John is saying in chapter 2, that's where we are today, uh, of this letter, is that he's using the language of family. The language of family. And if we understand what a family is and how a family is supposed to operate, um, then we can understand how we're supposed to live as real, genuine followers of Jesus. Um, and when we understand this language of family, then what John communicates in this letter, it becomes clear and really simple. And so the title of today's message is Family Dynamics. Family Dynamics. Let's pray one more time before we continue and start going through the scripture. Lord, we, we thank you that we've been able to come into your presence. We thank you, first and foremost, that you are here. You have not turned us away, but you've welcomed us to worship you. And we thank you for that opportunity this morning to sing praises to you, to be welcomed into your presence, to receive from you, and to, to give back to you what you deserve. Lord, I pray that as um, we've prepared um, our hearts and our minds, we're ready to receive what you have for us. And God, I thank you that you have have something for every single one of us this morning. Lord, help us to open our hearts to receive that. Lord, to, to receive exactly what we need right here in this present time so that we can live the lives you've called us to live. Lord, we thank you for that. We love you. We say all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, let's open our Bibles to First John. Go ahead. Physical Bibles, digital Bibles, that's all welcome here, whatever you have. Um, let's honor the Word of God this morning. Let's, let's read it together. Um, but before we read it, we're, it's time to recite uh, from memory verses 1 through 4. Now, if you're just joining us for the first time, you get a pass, all right? Um, you can kind of hear us as we recite it. But um, I issued the challenge at the beginning of this, this series to memorize all of 1 John chapter 1. And when I issued that challenge, many of you had these shocked faces, right? And you're like, what did Pastor Kai just ask us to do? Um, but I just want to say, I am proud of you, right? Because some of those shocked faces, you're doing it. You're memorizing scripture um, and lengths of scripture. And I believe that as you continue to do this, God is going to bless you. He is blessing you as you memorize going to give you a greater hunger for his word, and when you need it the most, you'll be able to recall these verses that you're memorizing. It'll bring you comfort. It'll guide you as you walk with Jesus. That's good, right? Amen? And so keep up the good work as you're memorizing. It is worth it. All right? So let's go. Verses 1 all the way through verse 4. Verse 1, it says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes and looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Verse 2, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4. And we write these things so that you, sorry, so that our joy may be complete. 
That's all right. We're going to mess up together. That's just, we're going to get better, right? I believe that being put on the spot to recite it, so like, oh, I got to memorize it. Um, so good job. That, that's four verses down. We've got nine to go, all right? Um, four verses memorized. Now, here's what I want you to start doing. I told you I'm going to give you little tips along the way to help you memorize. Um, what I want you to start doing is thinking, why are these verses useful to me? Did you know that, that the word of God is not just meant to be read, but it's meant to be used in your life? Right? We're meant to wield the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so start thinking, why are these verses useful to me? When would I need to use verses one through four in my daily walk with Jesus? Now, the, the first four verses might not seem as immediately useful as the other verses in this chapter, um, but they are useful. Uh, wouldn't you agree that it's useful to remember when life's demands are just coming at us from all directions, that we serve a king who is eternal, who is from the beginning, and who has made flesh manifest just like we are. And when we seek him, he wants to provide for us, he wants to care for us, help us in our time of need. That's useful. I don't know about you, but I think that's useful. And so be thinking about that as you continue memorizing the rest of the chapter, okay? All right, but for today, we're continuing our, our journey through chapter 2. Last week, we spent our time on just verses 1 through 3. Um, and if I keep just doing three verses a week, we're going to be in here till next year, all right? Um, but we learned that not only does God want to have fellowship with us, but he wants to have the kind of fellowship that we expect and that we actually all long to experience within a family, a family kind of fellowship. Um, John uses a lot of family language in this chapter and in the chapters that follow. And Father God, he sent his son Jesus to live, die, and rise from the dead so that we can be set free from the wrath of God towards sin and so that we could have family fellowship with him again. And so we learned last week Jesus is our advocate and he's the propitiation for our sins. Uh, we also talked about some false foundations of assurance that people rely upon uh, to get them into the family of God. False assurances that make people think they have eternal life, but the Bible says nothing about them as true assurances for us. In fact, the Bible speaks against many of those that we went over last week, saying we can't depend on those alone as assurances for our standing in the family of God. And so John says in verse 3 that a true foundation of assurance, it starts with knowing God. Knowing God. Not just knowing that he exists, but a personal and intimate knowledge of God. The kind of knowledge that we have of, of a dear friend or, or a loved one, a family member. And when we read God's word to know him intimately, I believe God reveals himself to us intimately. And I needed to give you that quick review of last week um, because we're continuing with the family language today. Um, and, and we're starting with that, that foundation, knowing the father as our true foundation um, to know that we are, in fact, members of his family, children of God. And now in verses 3 through 4 that we're going to go over today, um, sorry, 14, not just 2, sorry, 3 through 14, um, John's going to build on that foundation of knowing God and then help us to know that we know. He's going to help us know that we know. Real quick, how many of us would call ourselves risk-seeking yeah? It's okay. You can raise your hands. You can interact with me this morning. I love that. All right? You're risk-seeking. Like, you are totally okay taking risk and not knowing for sure if something will work out for you for the good or for the better and, or, or the worse in the end. Okay, now, on the flip side of that, 
How many of us would call ourselves risk-averse? Risk-averse, okay. That's okay. That's totally fine, right? So risk-averse means you're totally not okay with taking risk, and you want to know for sure, know that you know that you know, before you step into something and move forward with it. I find myself kind of in the middle. It depends on what the risk is, right? If it's not that meaningful, then I'm like, sure, let's take a risk. But if it will change my life, um, I want to know that I know that I know, right? Well, John, he's writing to all of the risk-averse people in the kingdom of God. So if you raise your hand, this book is for you. It's for all of us, but especially for the risk of verse. Right? John doesn't just want you to know God. He wants you to know that you know God. Right? He wants you to know that you know that you have eternal life. He wants you to know that you know that you are his child. And this is something that sets Christianity apart from the majority of other religions in the world. Think about it. Most religions will say that if you do this and you don't do that, if you hear, adhere to the ways of, of our religion to the best of your abilities, then you have a pretty good chance of getting into heaven or whatever their version of heaven is, right? But there's no guarantee, zero, right? There, there's no real hope. Muslims, Jewish people know that even if they do everything right and that they're supposed to, they still might not make it into heaven. If you ask them that, they'll tell you that. Right, but Christianity gives multiple assurances so that we know that we know. And our hope is not based on what we can do of ourselves or what we should do, but on who Jesus is and what he's already done for us on our behalf. Right, and you can know that you know, and that's a really good thing. Wouldn't you agree with that? And so John, he's going to give us two primary ways that we can know that we know and, and know for sure that we are members of his family. He's also going to show us that this knowing is a process. Uh, and so let's read 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to read 3 all the way to 14 this morning. And then we'll explore the passage a little bit deeper. All right, so starting with verse 3, John says this. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, his commandments, in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard, the commandments that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you which is true in him, that's Jesus, and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Verse 12, I am writing to you little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Amen? So, 
um, just to kind of break it down, um, we have three different sections here that we just read. Uh, the first two sections, right, verses 3 through 6, and then verses 11 through uh, through 10, I'm sorry, verses 7 through 10, um, or 11, are where we read the two assurances to help us know that we know. And then the third section, verses 11 through 14, are where John explains what this practice of knowing looks like. And so that's how we're going to view it today. And so what are these assurances? We talked a lot about the false assurances. What are the assurances so we know that we know? Well, when you look at your own family, so think introspectively for a moment, and then when you look at other people's families, you've probably noticed that there are some differences in the way each family operates. True? True. Right? Or we can say the family dynamics between families are often different from one to the next. For example, uh, your family might all sit together during meals at the dining table, while another family might sit together, but they're in front of the TV. Or, or your family might be more patriarchal, where the father, he sets the rules and the boundaries, and everybody's expected to follow. Or another family, you might be more matriarchal, where mom is in charge. She's the boss. Okay? These are some examples of family dynamics that you may have seen. And listen, we're only able to evaluate different family dynamics based on what the family does. Right? You're able to identify one family from another, not just by blood or the way they look or by their actions, or I'm sorry, by their names, but by their actions. Think about your own family. What about your family makes you your family? What are some things that your family does that distinguishes you from other families? Right? Not that no other family uh, does those things, but you as a family have decided this is how we're going to function. This is how we're going to operate as a family and in the world. Let me give you some examples for, from, from my family, uh, the Eilert family. Um, we've decided that we're going to have as many of our meals together around the dining table as possible with the occasional you know, dinner and a movie in front of the TV. Right? That's what the Eilert family does. Uh, the Eilert family, we always pray and sing a short worship song right before bed. That's what the Eilerts do. And in my parenting even, when I'm, I'm correcting or trying to guide my children, I find myself saying things like, that's not what Eilerts do. This is what Eilerts do. This is what it means to be an Eilert. What about you? What makes your family your family? Not just by blood or relation or name alone, but by your actions. Now, I take the time to, to illustrate this because we can think about the family dynamics in relation to God's family in the same way we do with our own families. If we can understand how our earthly family dynamics work, or let's say how they're supposed to work, um, and that makes sense to us, then God's family dynamics should make sense to us too. And everything that we're reading doesn't have to feel foreign to us, like there's some strange concept. And even this past week in our growth groups, if you attend them, we, we talked about how God set his family free from slavery in Egypt. And then when God set out to, to make the Jewish people his unique family in the world, what was it about them that set them apart from all other families in the world? Well, God gave them a specific set of rules, a specific set of priorities and, and commands. And he said, do them. I do them. Make these a priority in your life. 
Live according to these commands and these rules, and this is how you will be set apart from all other families in the world. This is how people will know that you are mine and I am yours. And of course, I'm talking about the Ten Commandments, right? And the Ten Commandments are God's way of saying to his children, this is what it means to be a part of my family. This is what God's family does. This is not what God's family does. And these are the family dynamics that God has set in place to distinguish his family from all others. And even God said to Israel in Exodus chapter 20, verse 6, that he would show his fatherly, steadfast love to thousands of those who love him and keep his commandments. All right, now fast forward uh, thousands of years to 1 John. And what does he say in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3? He says, and by this, we know that we have come to know him, that he is our father, if we what? Keep his commandments. God's family dynamics are at the core. They haven't changed for millennia. They're the same as they were back then as they are today. If we want to identify as members of God's family, and that's the first question you need to ask yourself, do I want to be a part of God's family? If so then we must obey him. Then we must keep his commandments. We must do what members of God's family do. Right? And this is the first of two assurances that John gives us to know that we know. And it's to keep the Father's commandments. If you're taking notes, I've got a lot of notes for you today, all right? You can write that down. Keep the Father's commandments. Verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments... On the flip side, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Right? And when we understand these verses through the language and through the lens of family, then this all makes sense and it seems logical, doesn't it? Because when you think of, of earthly family dynamics between parents and their children, what are children expected to do? Listen and obey. Listen and obey. We tell our kids this all of the time, all of the time. Uh, if you've been to our house or you've seen us correct our kids and you've probably heard us say, hey, kiddo, what's your job? And they'll begrudgingly say, to listen and obey, right? They know. Our kids know that for the parent and child family dynamic to work well for everyone, they must listen and obey. And that's what God is saying all the way back in Exodus. And that's what John is reminding of us in this, or reminding us of in this letter, right? For the father and child family dynamic to work well between God and us as children, we must keep his commandments. And when we keep his commandments, when we fall in line with, with, with God's family dynamics, we can know that we know that we are his children, members of his family. This is very logical and simple. Right? Not only is this an assurance, but it's also a boundary for love to operate in. It's a boundary for love to operate in. Let me ask you, why do we give our children rules and boundaries to operate in? Not because we're trying to control them or act as these authoritative dictators over their lives, right? but because we love the heck out of them. right? We love them. And the rules and boundaries we make are meant to protect and provide and produce these really good qualities in them. And we can't love them the way we should uh, if they step out of those boundaries, right? And so this is a way that we show our love to our kids, and it's a way for our kids to show that they love us and they trust us when they start to listen and obey. 
And so God, he gives us rules, laws, and commandments for the exact same reason. God loves you. He's a good father, and good fathers give rules and boundaries and laws. He loves us, and it's a way that we can show him our love too. True love must always have boundaries to operate in. Now, this doesn't sound romantic, I know, but it's true, and you know it too. Because what says I love my wife more? Okay, committing to be with her and have eyes only for her or breaking that commitment and being with other women and having eyes for other women too, right? Or what says I love you more? Loving her in the way she needs to be loved or loving her in the way I think she needs to be loved or the way that I want to be loved, right? God's commandments are meant to create a boundary so that true love can flourish, or as John says in verse 5, that the love of God is perfected in those who keep his commandments. You want God's love to flourish in your life? Keep his commandments. When we keep his commandments, we can receive God's love and we can love him back. And God being light, which means he's holy, which means that he always is and always does what is good, right, and perfect, right? It's his, uh, it's his privilege to be able to say this is how you love me, and this is how I love you. Because he's the only one who's perfect, right? And when we obey him, we get to see that, that love perfected in our own lives. Love must always have boundaries to operate in. And if we ever wonder or question, right, what it looks like to keep God's commandments, if we ever question, man, am I doing this right? How many of you have been there before in your walk with Jesus? God also gives us a model for what keeping his commandments looks like. In his son, Jesus. Or John says it this way, verses 5 and 6. He says, by this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, that's Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is how you can know that you know that you know. By walking the way Jesus did. Because Jesus, he always perfectly operated according to the commandments, the boundaries, the family dynamics that his father put in place. Okay, I, I love watching my kids interact with one another when they're being loving and kind. It's not so much fun when they're being little heathens and punching each other, right? But what I'll see oftentimes is that, that Ollie, he's our second youngest, he'll often do what his big brother Miles does. And then Theo, our third youngest, he often does what his big brothers do. And then Eleanor, our fourth youngest, she is going to start doing what her big brothers do. And I even see this when it comes to listening and obeying, for better or for worse. Uh, I've noticed it especially at the dinner table. Uh, as soon as Miles puts the sliced olives on his fingers like they're rings, everybody else around the table does the exact same thing. Right, and, and we have to tell them, you know, it's not, that's not bad in and of, of itself, but we want to have good table manners. So we say, hey, guys, don't, don't do that. Right, Miles, you got to set an example for the rest of everybody else because they'll just do what you do. Um, but I've also seen Miles and Ollie, they'll, they'll bow their heads right before dinner to, to pray. They'll put their hands together. And then Theo, I'll see him kind of look at his older brothers, examine, and then he'll bow his head, close his eyes, put his hands together, and he'll start to pray too. And what Jesus is saying is when in doubt, right, just follow our big brother Jesus. Just do what he did. If you ever question, if you're doing it right, just look to our big brother Jesus and do what he did. Then you'll know that you know that you know 
because he always kept the Father's commandments. Do you see it? It's like a triple assurance at that point. And by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep the Father's commandments. So that's the first assurance. The second assurance we have to know that we know is if we love the Father's children. If we love the Father's children. And let me ask you this. Isn't that something we expect in our families too? Right? We want our children to love one another, don't we? Or if we have our own siblings, we want our brothers and sisters to love us and we want to love them back. And if you've been a part of a family where, where the kids do not love each other or share that kind of love or get along, then you know how much not like a family that feels. It's awful. But when the kids not just get along, but they, you can tell they actually love each other, that's what family feels like. It's so good. Right? And that's one of the greatest joys any parent can have, isn't it, parents? I love seeing my kids love each other. Right? I love how they're not just siblings, but they're friends. They get along. They do things together. I didn't always have that in my family growing up with my siblings. We eventually got there, but I wish we would have gotten there so much sooner. Right? This is what God the Father expects from his family too. And is that unreasonable? Not at all. Right? John says in verses 7 and 8, this commandment to love one another. It's not a new commandment. It's ancient. And when you look at the Ten Commandments, the first three, they're all about loving the Father. Loving the Father, loving the Father. And then the other seven are all about loving people. Even Jesus said that loving God and loving people sums up everything that the ancient uh, law and prophets declare. Right? To love the Father's children is this ancient commandment. But he also says that it's new at the same time. Now, in Greek, the word new actually has two different meanings. Uh, one of the meanings is new in time, and then the second meaning is new in quality. And John is saying that this commandment is not new in time. It's, it's very old in time, but it is new in quality. It's new in quality. How? Well, there are three reasons, and I'll go through these quickly. One is that it's new in emphasis. It has a new emphasis uh, love one another is mentioned at least a dozen times in the New Testament. I've heard other Bible teachers uh, call this um, the practice of one anothering. Love one another. Forgive one another. Be kind to one another. Bear one another's burdens over and over and over again all throughout the New Testament. Um, it's also new in emphasis because uh, loving one another, and hone in on this for a second. Loving one another isn't how we become Christians. It's what it means to be a Christian. Big difference. It's, it's what it means to be a Christian. Um, I recently heard a very well religious and well-educated uh, Jewish person say that the Old Testament, it was all about keeping the commandments to become what God desires us to be. It was all about doing to become. And then he flipped around and said, the Christians, they have it all backwards. Right, for Christians, they believe that they do, they obey the commandments because they've already become what God wants them to be, right? And I was like, you're exactly right. That's true, right? We don't do to become. We do because we already are because of Jesus. We don't love one another to become Christians, but because we already are Christians. The emphasis is new. Can you see that? Right? The commandment to love the Father's children is new also, because it has a new example, a new example. In the Old Testament, no one could keep the commandments perfectly. There was no good examples. 
Everyone was just trying to do the best that they could according to the way they thought was best. But now we have Jesus, our perfect example of how to love God and to love those around us perfectly. And so we don't have to just flounder about I'm trying to figure out how to make this work. We can look up to our big brother Jesus and do what he did. Right? Not only is Jesus our new example, but we can be an example to others too. We can be the example. We're encouraged to love God and to love other people so that other people will know that we belong to him and so that they will want to belong to him too. Or this is why in his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. We have this new example of this commandment in Jesus, but we also get to be an example to other people as we follow Jesus. You see it. The commandment to love the Father's children is new in quality also because we have a new experience of it. When we love one another, John says in verses 9 and 10 that we walk in the light. We walk in the light. And being in the light means that we can see where we are going, right? It means we can see where we are going. We can avoid stumbling blocks in life that we wouldn't have seen if we were in the dark, Right? So as we love one another, John is saying, we actually experience guidance for our lives. And if you're not loving one another, you're in the dark. You can't see where you're going. You're blind. Right? This is because we can see the example of our big brother, Jesus, who's obviously walking in the light, keeping God's commandments. We can read that in the scriptures. But we can also see our, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ walking in the light as an example. Right? We experience guidance when we love one another. Uh, we also experience spiritual growth, which is right on point for, for our theme for this year, being planted. What do all plants need to grow? Light. Light. And when we walk in the light by loving the Father's children, our brothers and sisters, then we receive exactly what we need to grow spiritually. Light, nutrients in the form of love and encouragement being given to and received by our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why what's happening right here Every single Sunday is so important for your spiritual growth, right? You have guidance when you fellowship and you love your brothers and sisters. There's spiritual growth when you gather and love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so to love the father's children is what anyone would expect in a family. And if you've ever been in a family where love for one another isn't shared, then you can agree that it's like stumbling through the dark. It's terrible, right? It's awful. But when that love is shared within a family, man, it's like you are confidently walking in the light. It's so good. And next to loving him, loving one another is what God expects the most from his children. This is an old commandment in time, but it's new in quality because of the new emphasis, new example, and new experience. Just like keeping the father's commandments is an assurance, so is loving the father's children. These two things are how we can know that we know that we are members of God's family, that we are indeed his children, that we do in fact have eternal life. Amen? Not done yet. It's going a little bit longer, I know, okay? Bear with me for a little bit longer. Let's talk about this process that John shows us, all right? Knowing is a process. This knowing doesn't happen immediately and fully all at once. It takes time. It takes experience. It takes trial and error to truly know God. And John communicates this process, I think, uh, very well. And again, in the context of family. 
In verses 12 through 14, John lists three types of people that we typically see within a family dynamic. Three types of people. We've got children. We've got young men, he says, which are adolescents. And then we've got fathers or or parents. And John uses these three types of family members as a metaphor for the phases of spiritual growth and the phases of knowing God. And I want to look at that with you. Because children, it refers to any Christian who is still very young in their faith. Maybe they just became a Christian, just decided to start following him. Young men refers to any Christian who has been a Christian for a while, but there are some obvious things that they still need to learn and and, and, uh, understand as a follower of Jesus. And then fathers refers to those Christians who are mature in their faith. And he gives markers for each category to show where they are in this process, this phase of knowing the father. And these are the same markers that we can identify and actually see in earthly family dynamics. Right? Uh, a quick note about the word children in verse 12 and then in verse 13. You see he says it twice. Well, they are two different words in Greek. Two different words. In verse 12, little children is one word. And in verse 13, it's a completely different word. Uh, and then um, John says little children in verse 12. He's talking about anyone who is a Christian. If you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you are a little child, is what John is saying. Because anyone who is a Christian, no matter what phase of growth they're in, um, uh, spiritual maturity, they can all say, Jesus has forgiven me, right? Which is what he says in verse 12. All right, so now that that's clear, um, let's look at the phases of knowing the Father. You ready? All right. The first phase uh, is knowing the Father as children know their Father. And, And I like to think of this as real knowing, Real knowing or factual knowing, right? My children, they know that I am their father, that I'm real, right? They see me, I exist, I'm present in their lives. This is fact. But their knowing, especially for my younger children, um, it doesn't go much further than that if we really think about it, right? I, I am real, I'm factual, but they can't, they don't know the deeper parts of me because they just can't comprehend that, right? And when they do obey me, Little children often do it out of fear of consequence, right? They don't want to go to timeout or receive some other kind of consequence. So they just, they try and listen and obey, right? And new to faith Christians are kind of like that, right? Their eyes have been opened to faith for the very first time. And they're like, yes, I know that the father is real. I know there is a God. He exists. He's fact. And that's what John says in verse 13. I write to you children because you know the father. That's it. Because you know the Father. But new Christians, they still have a lot of learning to do, don't they? Right? And they need to know more about the Father. And a lot of new Christians, if you remember when you first became a Christian, you, you obeyed out of fear of consequence. Okay? And then John, he addresses the young men in verses 13 and 14. And hopefully, young men know more about their father than their little siblings do, right? And this is the second phase of knowing God which I like to call reliable knowing or functional knowing. Because young men not only know that their father is real, but they know that their father is reliable or they should know. That's what we should experience from our fathers. Reliable to love them, reliable to care for them, to protect them, to provide for them, to train them. Young men are supposed to look up to their fathers, not only as just a fact, but as an important functional role in their lives. But they're still limited in their knowledge of who their father is. They also obey, not so much out of fear of consequence, but out of necessity. 
Uh, my oldest son, Miles, he's, he's only nine, but he's learning very quickly that if he doesn't listen and obey, he doesn't get to do what he wants to do. It's not because he wants to, you know, doesn't want to disappoint mom and dad. It's because he wants to do what he wants to do. He's still got that, you know, selfish desire. Um, maybe you've experienced that with your young men and women in your life. And John, he, he communicates this about young men in the faith. Their knowing God has grown from real and factual to reliable and functional. In verse 14, he says this, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Right? Obviously, there's been some progression. And as time goes on, Christians who have grown from infancy to adolescence, um, they learn to use God in a good way, and to use his word to strengthen them and to overcome evil in their lives. They've learned to wield the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, to overcome sin and to live godly lives. They realize that God's word is reliable. It's functional. It has a purpose. And obedience often comes out of necessity for adolescence. Right? I want to obey because I need to overcome sin. I want to obey because I need to be strong in my faith. But they still have a lot more knowing to do, a lot more growing to achieve in their life. Which brings us to the fathers that John addresses in verses 13 and 14. Now that I'm a father, um, when I look back at my own dad and how he raised me, I have so much more respect and love for him than I did when I was a child right? or as a young man. I know not all of us experienced our fathers in this way, um, but for me, I see how my father was with, with me from the very beginning, loving me, caring for me, leading and training me. And now, my own role as a father, I'm doing the same things that my dad did for me that are good because right? I saw it modeled to me. And this is something that I tell my dad all the time. Right? Thank you for raising me well. Thank you for being a good father to me. It made a huge difference in my life. And we can bond and we can connect together in ways that we couldn't before. And so I like to call this kind of knowing relational knowing or fulfilling knowing. Right, my knowledge of my father isn't just that he's real and that he's reliable, but I can relate to him and have a deeper relationship with him. The knowledge I have of my father isn't just factual or functional. It's fulfilling. I love my dad. And the rules and the boundaries that I, I obeyed out of fear of consequence or because out of necessity when I was younger, I implement in my own family out of love. Right, because I realized that's why fathers, my father set up those rules and boundaries. And so when John addresses the spiritual fathers and mothers in verse 13 and 14, he says the exact same thing both times. He doesn't change it up. He says, I'm writing or I write to you fathers because you know him who's from the beginning. Listen, spiritual fathers and mothers, mature Christians, they're able to look back through their walk and see how God the Father was always with them. And how God was working all things, the good and the bad, for the good of them. How God was always leading and guiding them. And spiritual fathers and mothers, they have a much deeper relational connection with the Father than younger Christians do. If you've ever had a, an older spiritual person pray over you, you're like, man, they must spend a lot of time with the Lord. They must really love the Lord. Right? Father God is, is not just factual or functional but they have a deep sense of fulfillment when they think about who their father in heaven is. And they obey God, not just out of fear of consequence or out of necessity, but simply because they love him. They love him. And so 
Do you see this process of knowing? I know this was all kind of technical this morning, but it's so important for us to see it. Right? Children, young men and women, fathers and mothers, right? if we are children of God, we're all in this process of knowing, every single one of us. Right? Some of us are still children, if we're honest with ourselves. Some of us have, have matured some, but there's still more growth to experience in our lives. And some of us are more like parents, spiritual parents in the kingdom of God. And that's okay. But the obvious question to ask and to evaluate for yourself then is, where are you in the process? Where are you? This is important to know because living things that are living in the light do what? They grow. They grow. That's what living things do. Right? And I know that for you, your, your growth, God might have really specific things that he's asking you to do. Right? Do this. Don't do that. Get rid of that out of your life. But no matter where you are in your spiritual growth, your phase of, of family, there are two things that every single one of us should be doing. Keep the Father's commandments. Love the Father's children. Keep the Father's commandments. Love the Father's children. No matter what phase of growth that you're in, keep the Father's commandments. Love the Father's children. Right? This is what it means to live in the light. And this is how we know that we know we are children of God, members of his family, and that we do have eternal life. And so, Annette, if you want to come on up, are you keeping the Father's commandments? And sometimes we just got to go back to the basics. Are you keeping the Ten Commandments? Right? God gave those first for a reason. They're the most important ones. You can't go wrong if you do them. Right? Are you keeping the Father's commandments? If not, what will you do to keep them? What change are you going to make in your life? Are you loving the Father's children? If not, what will you do to love them? And I'm, and I'm not talking, I'm not talking about getting along with other Christians, right? I can get along with somebody I don't like and I don't love. We can be superficial. We can be surface level. That's not what John is talking about here. He's talking about loving Right? Not having apathy, not being passive, not, you know, not, not just, he's like, love your brothers and sisters. Because you might think, I don't hate anybody, but do you love them? Do you love them? Right? Are you loving the father's children? If not, what will you do to love them? And when we understand this language, this code of family, right, and that God desires to have family fellowship with us, the logical conclusion for us then is, Act like we are members of God's family. This is what God's family does. This is not what God's family does. This is what it means to be a member of God's family. Thank you for listening. If you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you.